Welcome to What Goes Around podcast. My name's Anne Frankenstein. And I'm still Eamon Murtagh. And I'd like to just add a little caveat before I tell you uh, some of the contents of this podcast, because I do drop quite a big swear word (laughs) quite early on in the pod. But can I just say that where I come from, this word is like, it runs like water. It's like rain. It just flows in and out of conversations. You know, people don't even notice this word, but I do feel obliged to give a bit of a trigger warning in case you're offended by certain swear words, because I think... It's, it's some kind of requirement that we do that. <laughs> <laughs> if you're listening with children, um, bind, bind their ears with gaffer tape. That's the one. Earmuffs if you're listening with children. Um, and if you are listening with children, fair play to you. Thanks for listening. It's <laughs> <laughs> grown the audience. <laughs> and our guest on today's episode is the brilliant, the hilarious, multi-talented, inimitable Mr. Craig Charles. And uh, we did attempt to write a nice, succinct intro for Craig, just in case somehow you don't know who he is or you're unfamiliar with his work. But whatever we could have written, we never could have written anything as wonderful as the intro he gave himself. My name's Craig Charles, the man, the myth, the legend, not so tall, not so dark, not so handsome man. The scally in your alley, the scouse in your house, the prat in your flat, the clown in your two up, two down. It's so brilliant. Brilliant. Uh, I must say as well that uh, we interviewed Craig uh, as he was out on a windy moor, um, <laughs> possibly down a well. Um, so there are. it's a little bit noisy, the recording, but I think you'll agree it carries the spirit and joie de vivre of the man himself. Should we get into it? Let's pod. Let's pod all over it. Frankenstein, what goes around? Well, you may or may not know this, Eamon. I don't know if you've heard me talking about this before. I may have touched on it briefly in past episodes, but recently I moved house. <laughs> Did you know? <laughs> Did you know that? I think nearly everyone in the Western world knows you've moved house. That's how I like it. So tell us about your fascinating move. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to focus on something more specific. I'll tell you the whole story again do, <laughs> sometime do, soon. Do I'm sure I will. Uh, but uh, as I mentioned, so my my records have been one of the last things that I've been able to unpack because I was waiting for my spy boxes to arrive, which mm-hmm. are these beautiful um, sturdy plywood boxes, uh, which were made to order, which I uh, inspired by you, um, my my musical hero, my DJ hero, uh, and inspired <laughs> the man with lots of plastic. Exactly, no, they're very good and they're very durable. And the chap who makes them is a lovely chap. So. Yes, absolutely. So yeah, my spy boxes arrived, and uh, they arrived in. 11 gigantic boxes which someone had to bring uh, up the stairs for me and then my house was full of cardboard but finally I set up my spy boxes put all my records in them and uh, obviously it was a chance to sort of reconsider my filing system and prior you know in my last house I was DJing a lot and so I would need to have certain records easily accessible because there's certain records I would play out and certain records Mm. I just listened to you know there's a whole like whimsical folk section <laughs> which I would very <laughs> occasionally in the whimsical folk section hey nonny nonny why not exactly and occasionally I might bring one or two of those to spirit land but generally speaking they're just for private mm. private purposes so my previous filing system meant that I had to make certain types of records more convenient for sort of swapping around and putting in my record bag and so this was a whole opportunity to reconsider my filing system because I imagine I won't be DJing that often in 2021 certainly not as often as I did last year and years prior and also oh it's just an opportunity to start fresh. Filing is one of those things because I worked in a record shop for you know a decade Mm. or so 
and um, there is a zen-like quality to ordering your records. That uh, You know those Japanese feng shui gardens mm-hmm. where there's an old man raking some gravel very carefully? You're thinking about karate kids. You're getting karate I see myself as the Mr. Miyagi of records. <laughs> <laughs> but I love, I love pulling them out and, and just, you know, giving, giving it a little tweak. I operate a floor box policy. Mm. I, had, I, I, know, I used to, um, where I have one box on the floor which is of all those things that are constantly in rotation new things especially because if you've got a lot of records and you get new stuff and you file it away too quickly there is a danger you Mm. forget and you haven't really got to know those records do you know what I mean that's exactly right and that's what kept happening to me I'd get new stuff in and I'd be like oh I can't really play that at this gig I'll just put that somewhere and I'll listen to it like it's in amongst five it gets absorbed exactly by the Borg Exactly, by the Borg. <laughs> so I thought, well, you know, what's, what's going to be a good system for me for 2021 and beyond? And so I, that exact thing, I was like, how do I avoid that? Okay, I'm going to make the top shelf, because I'm lazy as well, I'll make the top shelf closer, you know, because the turntables are sitting on top of the spy boxes. I'll put the top shelf, I'll make that full of stuff that I want to listen to, either stuff that I'm waiting to listen to, uh, that I haven't listened to enough yet or just stuff that I enjoy listening to regularly and put that near the top and then I'll group the rest vaguely in terms of genre and mm. I put this on Twitter <laughs> some people were horrified some people were fully in agreement with my yeah, system people, people get angry about this sort of oh, thing oh they you do know, because they basically do. this is a humans have a, a natural kind of propensity to try and order the universe <laughs> and it affects some humans a lot more than others and it, some people like Joe Wallace, I mean, if you if you were to move one of her records from one place to another, there would be hell to pay, I'm sure, because she has a very very strict alphabetical policy. There's no mm. there's no subgenres in her collection, you know. Mm. Yeah, and I admire that discipline. Also, I'm sure she'd kill me for touching one of her records because I'm sure they're all worth <laughs> a lot of money, and she doesn't want my greasy fingers all you over them. Move house again with one of those. <laughs> exactly, but yeah, it was interesting to hear about other people's filing systems. Like uh, Liz Wheatley, uh, um, another DJ I know, was saying. I fi- this is uh, quoted from uh, what she tweeted me. I file by friends, emotions, collaborations. Tina Marie, for example, will always be next to Rick James. I think that's really interesting. File- yeah. Filing by friendship and collab. I mean, you have to fucking, you have to have a good mind <laughs> to pull something out based <laughs> on that. The thing is, it's absolutely useless to anyone else coming in to look for something <laughs> in their recollection. And maybe that's the point. Maybe it's like, a, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's like an extra security level that no other DJ come in steal your light mm, because they ain't going to find what they want I remember the um, the brilliant book at High Fidelity mm. uh, there's a chapter in that when he rearranges his records according to who he was going out with autobiographically oh, man, yes yeah yeah could you do that do you think you've got the the musical memory if I did it by girlfriend there would be some, some, some large <laughs> blank spaces where nothing happened oh dear <laughs> all I had was the music then you know <laughs> little side note actually um because this is a cute story mm. um brilliant book high fidelity very good nice sort of like maybe an inch and a half thick or something so i was djing at a hotel quite a posh hotel um uh, but they didn't use record decks very often most of the time it's obviously just cdjs because modern life people are lazy they don't want to do the work um uh, but i said you know i play vinyl so you can have to get your record decks out get let's set them all up and i Gave them very specific instructions. And sure enough, I got there and they had, they'd set them up and it was all looking good. And then I went to put on the first record and the whole of the deck leant forward. Oh. And, and just, like, I looked around the side 
And at the front, one of the feet of the records had, had come off, made the whole platter into like a seesaw. Mm. So, and, then, and I'm, I'm kind of sweating now because like five minutes, there's going to be a hundred people in for a, a wedding or whatever it is, you know, the reception. And in those hotel gigs, they're really odd because you're basically standing in an empty room for maybe an hour or so waiting, getting things together and just getting stuff all ready. And then suddenly everyone arrives at once. It's like mm. a stampede. It can be quite overwhelming. So I suddenly got the fear. I thought, oh, my God, I can't. I've got to fix this. And the room next door had like a big library in it. I thought, brilliant, I'll use a book. I randomly grabbed a book that that looked like the right size. And it did. It fitted just perfectly under the record deck. And then I looked at the spine and it was High Fidelity by Nick (gasps) Hornby. Mental. Serendipity. Meant to be. Indeed. But... Listen, filing is a dark art. I'm going to give you a. I'm going to give you a test. You want a test? Go on, yeah. I'll, I'll probably. I'm not very good at tests, but I'll. 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 A plus for effort in advance. Okay. Where do you file orchestral maneuvers in the dark? Mm. Or should I say no. OMD? In the bin. <gasps> Absolute <laughs> blasphemy! Well, that, well, listen. That's the kind of stuff you're going to say. I'm, I'm just I'm, trolling you. I'm just yeah, trolling you. Trouble. Uh, I don't know. You, Frankenstein. You, you tell me. You tell me where to put. I got no. I got no beef with OMD. Just to clarify, <laughs> before we get some uh, some angry tweets and messages, I'm just I'm just trying to raise your blood pressure. Why? Where Where would I Where would I find it? Well, I would say that you'd probably find it under orchestral rather than OM. Oh, you mean alpha in terms of alpha? I thought you meant in terms no, of. I mean alphabetical order. You okay. See? Yeah. 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 But here's the thing: where do you file REM? Because no one ever calls them rapid eye movement, do they? Oh, do you mean, you, you're getting granular here. So do you oh, mean yeah. R-E rather than R-A? That's what I'm saying. Is it R dot E? I right at the beginning of the R's, next letter being E, but it, it, it's, a, it's a separate word kind of thing. And it does stand for rapid eye movement, but no one ever calls them that. Now, OMD, everyone calls them orchestral maneuvers in the dark. So I say that has to go under O-R. Mm. You follow me? Yeah. yeah, do you know, my sister just graduated with a PhD. She just finished her PhD in archiving. She would fucking love to talk about this. <laughs> Let's get her on. Let's get her on to do Let's Work and, uh, and see how we should file these things. Whereas I'm just like, I'm just, even you just making me sit here thinking about the alphabet is hurting my brain. <laughs> <laughs> well, someone asked on Twitter the other day, where do you file Jay Diller? Mm. And he wasn't sure. Because, you know, like, and, and, and it's a good question because hip hop names are particularly notoriously difficult mm. because, for instance, so, yeah, Jay Diller. So that should be if his name was I'm Mr. James Diller, then you'd put him under D for Diller. But it's not. It's a made up name. It's a stage name. And it's kind of all one thing. Mm. So you could you could put it under Jay. Or alternatively, you could put it under D. I think there's a it's a moot point. Well, Jay Z is much the same. Indeed, and I think an interesting uh, an interesting aside here. You know, we both worked in in record shops. I'm sure you were far more pedantic about filing than me. But the thing about it is, like these things come up when you're record shopping, and sometimes that means you find a gem somewhere it's not supposed this to be. This is true. This is and true. that's always a treat. And you know, shops that really heavily separate by genre, quite often you will find the, the biggest catch of the day mm. will just be something that 
you know, is in the jazz section, but most people think it's kind of like R&B or something. Mm, else, exactly. I mean? and, and then then you've got the good ones. Yeah, so. exactly. Actually, I, it, it was interesting when I was in Japan and um, there are loads of... Um, I found a load of disco rap there. I've t- told this story before, but like so much that like... You live for disco rap. I fucking love disco rap. I can't wait for it to... I just can't wait for it to come back. One day, <laughs> disco rap is going to be flavour of the month again and I can't wait. Um, but there's loads of... Uh, there's loads of really heavily sort of jazz-leaning uh, record shops in Tokyo. And there was one that we went to. I can't remember the name of it, but it was in a basement and uh, they had... Gr- everything was filed according to instrument. <laughs> which what, is really? weird yeah that, that doesn't make any because there must be bands and then what so they just pick one instrument and say this is mostly organ driven so well it was this. it was more like um you know famous like wes montgomery would be under guitar I, yeah and stuff I suppose, like that i suppose if it, if it was uh, if it's all jazz then that kind of makes sense i guess mm, yeah but even so it's a bit you know you don't just buy Miles Davis for the trumpet, do you? You buy Miles Davis because, you know, John Coltrane played sax in there and Gil Evans was on the, on <laughs> the piano is, as well. This is the thing. It, but but this is like a prime spot to find stuff filed where maybe you wouldn't expect to find it. Yeah. Although all of the records are very expensive. <laughs> so it's not like you're going to find any nice surprises. The worst um, crime of filing I ever found in a record shop. They had a section, right? Compilations. Mm. That makes no sense in any way, shape or form. So compilation. So you've got compilations of what? If it's like jazz compilations or rock compilations, fine, I get that. But just compilations? So you've got what? You've got like TV greats next to, you know, um, best of house next to, you know, that does all of these eyes that are completely unconnected. There's nothing that pulls them together other than some people have pulled them random tracks together and called it something. Oh, yeah. yeah. That doesn't work. They put well, them in the genres. <laughs> but there's, al- there's also, I've seen record shops with group, which um, have just one section, uh, the compilations and soundtracks. And the, the, I, th- I really think it's done with contempt, isn't it? Like, mm. oh, you want a compilation over there. <laughs> well, I think, I think soundtracks are, I can understand that because really it's a geeky strain of, of collecting that goes to the soundtracks and they do they know what they want I, I i went for a job in tower records once and what let me down was my soundtrack knowledge because i just had no idea that people would buy any old random shit that was in a movie <laughs> sometimes it's not any old random shit though you're straying into uh you're straying into tough territory there this is worse than my omd remark Oh, Some soundtracks. Absolutely, is not. OMD are one of the pinnacles of electro pop <laughs> in this country for the last twenty-five years. Now I guess this is Britpop all over again. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing but love. Ding, ding, ding. No, I'm just saying, like, um, soundtrack people are. You know, it is. You can't call. You can't think. You, soundtrack people. You can't say that. You, you can't can. dismiss you people. Can. In the, Go some soundtracks, some <laughs> some soundtracks are absolutely classic by them yeah. by themselves. I'm not talking about those people that are, that go out and buy the soundtrack to mm-hmm. Greece or whatever. I'm talking mm-hmm. about the people who you know collect uh, soundtracks of um, uh, schlock horror movies from the 1970s. Do you know what I mean? It, it's a it's a thing. It's it and and the the film is almost more important than the music a lot of the time that's Mm. what i'm saying nothing wrong with it good luck to them fair play 
That I can understand, but compilations, that's just crazy. It's just Sounds crazy. like someone is still mad about not getting a job in Terror Records. I'm quite pissed off about it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thing is, I thought I'd, want, I thought I'd done well because I, I knew loads of jazz. Mm. And, and, uh, and I was, you know, I was young back then. I was like 17, 18, but uh, didn't quite happen for me. Anyway, they've gone bust and I haven't. Yeah, yet. look at this, riding high. On the podcast wave. I've had two gigs in six months. It's not riding high. (laughs) It's doggy paddling to avoid death. (laughs) Uh, Well, listen, the main thing is that enjoy your records. Enjoy filing them away. I I think one of my favourite times, uh, certainly when I was gigging, is after I'd come out from doing two or three gigs, Sunday morning, pot of coffee, slow paramble filing things away pulling stuff out playing stuff i wouldn't normally play that for me is my happy time so we'll have happy that. times again in 2021 post gig yeah. happy times let's hope we do a lot more filing <laughs> <laughs> what an ambition <laughs> Damon Murder, King of Streams and uh, Gigs. <laughs> what goes around? <laughs> well, uh, uh, one story just caught my eye uh, this week. And it, it, I got to the stage like, you know, the record business has a bad reputation going way back, doesn't mm. it? I mean, oh, you know, all those early soul artists are all ripped off. And, you know, you know, George Michael and his handcuff contract and Prince with slave written on his face. What I'm thinking is, when are they going to learn these pop stars? When are they going to learn that the big business people are bastards? They will always be bastards. You are not their friend. This week, Taylor Swift, um, her old uh, manager, business guy, um, did a sneaky where he bought the record company that issued all of her records and therefore owned all the mechanical copyright to all the things she recorded for that company and then he sold them without telling her what and while he was still her manager well he certainly isn't now Jeez. <laughs> but uh, i think i think they they had parted ways um, but it, it's the way he did it he, you know, he bought the company and then sold them without even giving her the chance to buy them, because she'd have happily bought them herself. Mm. And, of course, she, she sold it to some faceless venture capitalists. <sighs> uh, so who even knows? It's probably all registered in the British Virgin Isles or something. Mm. So it'd be like Virgin Records, wouldn't it? Which would be, um, <laughs> <laughs> or Island Records. <laughs> or it could be both, yeah. That's good. <laughs> anyway, I, dig- I digress. Um, but the thing is, like, uh, so she's had all of her records taken away and um, sold to this venture capitalist thing. And the only thing she can do to get her own back is she's going back. I quite admire this. I quite like, I'm not a fan of Taylor's music particularly. I don't have any strong feelings about it. Um, but I love this. She's going back and re-recording the six albums she made, <laughs> note for note. Yes. So they sound exactly the same. <laughs> yes. And then she's going to reissue them with fancy covers and tell all her fans not to touch the other ones. <sighs> Sassy. That is admirable. She's great. I mean, I think she's a very she she is um 
She's a very uh, prolific artist in terms of the great pop music that she writes. Like you, I, do, I wouldn't. There's some of her tracks that I do enjoy, but I wouldn't be a fan of hers necessarily. But I very much admire her her songwriting, mm. um, and I think she really churns out the the pop hits. The jokes on this guy really because she she has an incredibly dedicated fan base. God, when I went to Nashville, it's literally Taylor Swift is bigger than Jesus over there. <laughs> they are absolutely like we went on. A, I went on one of those bus tours. Of, of you know country music spots around the city the driver apropos of nothing just did this giant detour like to drive us past Taylor Swift's <laughs> penthouse apartment just assuming we'd all be interested but um but yeah do you know what 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 really fucks me off about this um when you hear of musicians being exploited um in this example and so many others it's like there's some things that are more important than money. Like, why is money? It just fucks me off because it's like, okay, obviously you've just gotten into this for the money and that's literally all you care about. You don't care about exploiting people. You don't care about the music. You don't care about the art. You have no respect for any of it. All you care about is maximizing the amount of money you can get. What are you even going to spend that fucking money on? Being a big, oh, rich yeah. asshole. Yeah. It just yeah, pisses yeah. me off. Guy hand syndrome, you know, the man who bought EMI and, and ruined it. Uh, <sighs> You know, just like so obsessed with money. I get to the point, you know, when I when I'm in a comfy seat and I've got some music playing and I've got I've got a drink in my hand, my ambition dwindles. (laughs) (laughs) I get you totally. Some people just need to have another house. I don't know why you need another house. Just live in the one you've got. Just calm down. And like, can't you just, you know, Taylor Swift, like I say, she's such an admirable artist in terms of her songwriting prowess and everything she's done. And, you know, being a, um, a crossover artist who is so popular in country music and now in pop and so admired by people all over the world. Can you not just surely being a part of that is far more gratifying than just maximizing the amount of money you can get out of it? There is this thing, the more despotic people, mm. I'll try not to bring it into a political realm, but the more despotic kind of like money grabbing people they they they're low on empathy and they don't really get art mm. you know mm. they don't, they get craft uh, normally like they can understand when something's well done but they don't get the whole oh my goodness this is a this is a, a special thing that's being made here you mm. know this is this has more value than what it's worth if mm. you know what i mean if that's yes. a crazy thing to say it's exactly um, right and those people, they shouldn't be allowed within a country mile of the music industry because mm. they, they just they just break things and ruin things and they bring nothing to it. I, I love the chutzpah of uh, Taylor just going, well, I'll just do them again. So good, so good. Because <laughs> she has the fan base who will just, you know. Yeah, although the ironic thing is that I imagine all of the originals have then become really sought-after rarity. So, like, Discogs will be smiling if no one else is. Are, are, are music nerds really the type, record nerds really the type to, do you think so? No, I, I, I don't even know because I'm not, I'm not a, a Taylor Swift. I, I imagine most Taylor Swift fans have never even seen a record. So. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but there are these people, these, these kind of uh, breadheads, let's call them, as they mm. called them in the 60s, mm-hmm. who just, they, they're totally amoral about it. They were, the lawyer for Blondie, mm-hmm. when they recorded Parallel Lines, the lawyer who was supposed to check their contracts and make sure everything was nice and in order, inserted a clause that he got paid in perpetuity. So he's still getting, he's getting more, he's got more money off the album than Blondie ever did. How could you enjoy your money knowing you're that much of a cunt? 
How could you look at yourself in the mirror? Honestly. I mean, that's just wrong, isn't it? Yeah, that's Bad gross. people. Real bad. And I, the great thing is, in, in the modern age, uh, I mean, I just, I know we've bigged up Bandcamp before, but, I, you know, that's got to be the way forward. Mm. You, 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 the artists have got to keep hold of what they've got because there's so little money to be made anyway now mm. that if you start giving loads of stuff away and, and you know, signing yourself up to terrible contracts, you, the, the pool of people willing to put themselves through the emotional turmoil of making art and pushing it out is going to get smaller and smaller and smaller. Mm. And, you know, it's funny, I was looking this week as well, um, we, we talk about him regularly in, in slightly disparaging tones, but Morrissey, again, is is bemoaning <laughs> the evils of the record industry. There's a pattern here, Mozza. You go somewhere, <laughs> you piss everyone off, right? You make a mediocre album, you throw your toys out of the pram, they drop you, right? And then you go on to the next one. Mm, and normally, the common denominator is you. Is it, exactly. It's like, question everything done. It's you, mate. You're the problem. <laughs> you know, because he, he does all these weird things like when he got his book out, he insisted that it came out under, under Penguin Classics. I know. It's and when, so and then, funny. When he went into HMV, he insisted it came out with a proper uh, HMV, his master's voice logo and all that oh, sort of God. stuff. And then he went to, I think he went to RCA last and he did exactly the same thing. No, it's got to be the classic version of it. You know, and after, you know, an album and a half, two albums, that everyone in the office is just like, oh, God, go away. <laughs> so I say the old model is broken. If you are a young artist out there trying to make your way, make your way slowly to the top. Mm. Keep hold of your assets keep hold of your integrity and your music mm. and also there's so many brilliant independent labels around who clearly are not in it for the money <laughs> necessarily you know are brilliant ones you know reissue labels but also uh labels who just are only interested in the joy of the music and uh, well, that's think, nice um, to see uh discord records are uh celebrating your anniversary i think it's might even be 40 mm, i saw years. you yeah i saw your God, facebook that makes post. Me feel but you know they they've just uh, they have a punk ethos and they have stuck to it rigidly mm. they've never had a contract no band on discord has ever signed a contract wow that's how did they how do they how do they figure that because ian mckay says look i'll press up these records here's your share of the money pick up your royalties there that's it anything that we make we plough back into getting new artists and, and making the, the label better. And and that's how he's run it. And he's run it like that for all this time. And, you know, he told a story about one band that he'd signed who just stopped picking up their royalty checks. And so he, he, he had to find them. He hired a private detective to go and find them. And when he eventually found them, the guy said, I thought you just put all the profits back into the record label. And he was Aww. like, yeah, but, you know, you can take your royalties. Oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> I mean... You don't have to be like that, do you know. I mean, you can be one of the good guys, and I think uh, more power to them. Yeah, that's the thing. These, these, you know, punks get a, a reputation for being a bit dirty, but they they got clean consciences. Not all of them, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that didn't come out quite the way I well, planned you know, the, it. You know what the, I mean? This guy the does. Dead Kennedys. Mm. Uh, Dead Kennedys had this thing uh, for many years where it was all like, uh, uh, pay no more than five dollars for this record and all this. And, yeah, and God, very, I love them. I love them for that. I like because you know that's all I had, mm. um, and it was great music and all that sort of stuff. And they had you know a pretty bulletproof ethos again. Mm. 
And then when sort of they fell out of favour, I guess, in the 90s or whatever, um, half the band sued Jella Biafra and claimed that it was all his idea and they Aww. didn't really like it. Yeah, disappointment of the century. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, yeah, it's a very dangerous, as Labby Sifri taught us the other week, mm. you know, you can't project onto your idols. You can't really expect them to be one way or the other because they're humans and humans inevitably our trouble mm. <laughs> if you got something you want to say to us you can get in touch with us anytime we have an email address whatgoespod at gmail.com we would love to hear from you with comments and questions and anything you want to get in touch with us about we would uh, dearly love to hear from you and if you like the sound of the music we talked about in the podcast today or we've spoken about in previous episodes or indeed we chat about today uh, we make a spotify playlist and a youtube playlist containing every piece of music mentioned in uh, that particular episode you'll find a link to those both in the show notes so uh, happy listening what we're gonna what we're gonna what we're gonna do right here is go back Way back, back into time. That's right. Name that tune. Name that tune. We are so excited about today's guest. And uh, in terms of an intro, there's so much to say. It's been a real effort to keep this succinct, but I'm going to try my best. He's a man of many hats and many parallel, very successful careers as a performance poet, uh, touring with the Teardrop Explodes, as an actor in Red Dwarf and Coronation Street, as a TV presenter, a band leader, an author, and of course, as a DJ and radio presenter, flying the soul and funk flag on BBC Six Music since 2002. And today he's here with us sharing his phonographic memories. Welcome, Craig Charles. Uh, Thank you for having me. And Frankenstein. That makes me sound so busy, doesn't it? Well, you clearly are very busy because it's not even just about all the things you do. It's how you've managed to, even just one of those things, having the, the success that you've had doing them would be enough to satisfy most people. Yeah, I've got OCD. I'm kind of, I'm really sort of hyperactive. Plus, if I just do one thing for any length of time, I start turning in on myself and sort of um, getting up to no good. So I, so I just like to keep myself as busy as I possibly can. That's fair enough. But how come, how come you've stuck with, with the Six Music Show for so long then? Because that must have been one of the first like, popular shows on Six Music. 2002, that's a long old innings. Yeah, I'm actually the Ken Barlow of Six Music. <laughs> oh my God, what a claim to fame. I know, Ken you know, really, yeah, you know I've, I've been there since the beginning. So, um, yeah. Uh, yeah, and when I first started out, to be honest, I would have got a bigger audience if I'd just put a CD on in my car and drove around London with the window wound down. Uh, um, so, uh, and, and it's steadily sort of grown. When they came to me, they wanted me to do, go through the archives and, um, and sort of like, you know, go through all the BBC's archives and play old sessions by bands from the 70s and 80s and stuff like that. And I yeah. said, no, can I do a funk show? And they hadn't really thought about that because, um, Let's face it, it's not very Black Station 6 music. It's, it, it, it's, it is kind of... extra, is it? No, it's, it is kind of populated with thin white boys with guitars and, and pointy shoes. So they hadn't really thought about it, but uh, Saturdays have been great. They've got Giles in as well then. So you've got Giles 3 till 6 and me 6 till 9. And, and it's, it's got a real wiggle on it, 6 on a Saturday. It's, uh, and I, I love doing it. It's sort of like, that's what I grew up with, you know. I mean... My dad came to England in, what, 1958. He was a, a merchant seaman, and he had a British guy in his passport, and he missed his, um, his, his boat in Holland, 
um, obviously getting up to no good or something. And, um, and because he had a British guy in his passport, it was cheaper to send him to England than it was to send him back to Guyana. So, <laughs> so he arrived in Liverpool docks with a, a fistful of change and a, pocket, and a bag full of records. So I grew up in a, in a household, because I was born in 64, so the Beatles were, were everything in Liverpool at that time. Yeah. Uh, but like our house danced to a different beat. We were listening to Harry Belafonte and Johnny Mathis and Ray Charles and, and you know, and later on when, um, when everyone was getting into sort of like a punk and disco, we were listening to P-Funk, Funkadelic Parliament, George Clinton's crowds and stuff like that. So I kind of had a different, diff different musical journey than a lot of my contemporaries growing up in Liverpool at the time. And I just love funk and soul. I love music that makes you want to dance. <laughs> yeah. And it, it, it really comes through. You, the, you know, there are some people you hear on the, on the radio and you think they're there and they're playing the records that they're kind of handed on to them. And there's somebody you can feel the enthusiasm uh, I mean, basically, I mean, they probably have to tie you down, don't they, most of the time? <laughs> yeah. No, they actually let me dance. It's okay. <laughs> we, 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 do the we do it standing up. There's a headline for you. Craig Charles does it standing up. Um, yeah, we do it standing up. I, 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 can't, I can't get round my head around those DJs who sit in a chair and talking to a microphone. We kind of... And that's what I, give, I think it gives it that liveliness, you know, that yeah, sort of, you know, it sort of a, a bit, it makes it a bit more electric, you know, so we dance around and we have a few drinks as well, you know, we break all the broadcasting rules. <laughs> you know. Thanks for sharing that with us, less <laughs> than anyone. <laughs> but you, like, I've, you know, I've seen you DJ live many times at festivals and um, in London at the Jazz Cafe, I've seen you and like obviously playing live, I mean, that's another thing you've been very busy with over the past few years. You must yeah. miss that, are you like a coiled spring just waiting to get out to gigs again? It's actually killing me, really. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's sort of because um, that's what you. I mean, everyone lives for the weekend, don't you? You know what I mean? It's sort of like you know, you work your nine to five, and then Friday night you go out and you have it large, and Friday and Saturday, and then you recover on Sunday, and get ready to do it all again the next weekend, yeah. and um, and not being able to do that has been. It's, yeah, it's not. It's not great actually. And I live in a, um, I live in a, in a house in the country, miles from anywhere, mm -hmm. so. Um, we can't even, uh, we've got really bad Wi-Fi. So uh, we can't even do those, you know, virtual yeah. gigs and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. so it's been a, bit of a, been a bit of a kick in the love spuds, to be honest. <laughs> are you booking for 2021? Are you optimistic? And like, what's your, what do, have, you, have you thought about your set and what you're going to play when you get back into the DJing game when things I, get back to normal? I just have to see what's current at the time, really, because, mm -hmm. I mean, there's, you know, I, the thing about my show is, although it's sort of grounded in the, in the golden era of black American music and that, it's, it's not a history lesson. A lot of the stuff I play is being recorded now or remixed now uh, by bands that are gigging now and writing now. So it's, it's this very current thing. So mm -hmm. I try and keep it as current as possible. But I do know that it's just going to be a party. I mean, I think people said, I think we'll party like it's 1945 when this is all over, I tell you. <laughs> so, uh, and it'll be no sleep until way past bedtime, you know. <laughs> I can't wait. Yeah. There is a lot of, of energy that has been uh, been pent up and, and suppressed for far too long. Yeah, you talk about booking gigs. I, I am booking, but um, I'm not that optimistic, to be honest. Mm. That, that it'll. I mean, I was talking to some people. I've got a friend uh, who I made recently when I was doing that rowing program, and um, and he's sort of connected, and he doesn't think that. Um, he thinks that maybe next winter. We might mm -hmm. be in with a chance, even if this vaccine comes by this winter. Um, by the end of this winter, he reckons people won't be sort of. And I don't think people will be in the mood to go and start sweating in clubs and 
stuff like that and exchanging body juices with, uh, with, with you know, with people that they haven't been in lockdown with. So, so I think there's going to be a new normal. Uh, yeah. I just, I did a few of those gigs where, uh, where I've played car parks where each car parking space has got a table and six chairs in. Then you miss a car park space, and then another car park space with a table and six chairs in, and and you play these massive car parks which you know would fit fifty thousand people in, and you're playing to five hundred people, and it's like it's difficult to get a vibe going, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's a totally different different feeling from the audience as well. Because I know I, I, when I did a, a couple of the gigs, you just you couldn't you couldn't play the same set. Do you know what I mean? Because no. there's no point going hammer and tongs no. like early doors. So at first it's a bit weird, but there's something quite enjoyable about the whole notion of just, you know, digging the, old, the, the album cuts and the, and the, and the gospel tracks and the, you know, just, you know, perhaps fishing in different waters for a little bit. And that, that, that made it interesting again. Yeah, I kind of played a, a lot more chilled out sort of stuff. Um, which is, I mean, the album I've just brought out, uh, Trunk of Thunk, has got a different sort of vibe. It's a bit more kind of, you know, it's a bit more... Uh, it's a lot of the stuff that I wouldn't play out live, but it, it, I think as an album it works because it's still got the groove on, but it's kind of a more laid back groove, you know. You're right, you can't call it hammering songs in this current environment, you know. You're scared of people sweating. <laughs> I'm not scared of people sweating. I can't wait to get out and sweat on other people, have their sweat on me. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I've heard about you, man. The first person to sneeze in a club is not going to be popular. Though. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I've got a cold, I've got a cold. <laughs> um, shall we go back to your phone, first phonographic memory then? Because you mentioned Ray Charles uh, as a memory of, you know, one of the artists who your dad had in his record bag um, yeah. back in the day. So talk to us about your first selection, Ray Charles, I've Got a Woman. Yeah, it's one of my first memories, really. Um, so I must have been three or four or something like that. And I remember sat being sat on the kitchen floor with my mum and dad uh, jiving around so I've got a woman um, and just thinking, wow, this music is brilliant. And Ray Charles, had, at that stage, had quite a staid reputation. He was doing country music at that time, I think. He did about four country albums, Ray Charles. And, um, but, and, uh, but this was like a throwback to like, you know, uh, to, to when he really used to tear places apart. And I just remember my mum and dad, the, the joy on their faces as my dad swung my mum around and just thinking this, what's this music? It's absolutely brilliant. Cause you weren't really hearing that kind of stuff on the radio, especially in Liverpool. It was all, it was all beat music you were hearing, you know, it was the Beatles, it was the Rolling Stones, it was um, stuff like that. And just to hear that kind of, the kind of boogaloo element in it and the kind of just the joy and the, and the syncopation and, the, and all the rhythms clashing and sort of counterpointing with each other. And I just thought, wow, this is a... I didn't think that then, of course, because I was only four. <laughs> I, I don't think I knew the word counterpointing at that stage. <laughs> but uh, but uh, I just get, got this feeling that it was like, you know, wow, this is, this is something special. Well, I got a woman way over town
always find that Ray, Ray Charles, those the, the, the dance records he did, like Hit the Road Jack and so on, uh, those singles were, were really well made. They, they really, they're cut loud, do you know yeah. what I mean? And the, yeah. the piano really just hammers at you all the time. Yeah. It's a real block of, block of sound. Yeah, the real rip snorters. I mean, it's proper. You know, it's. I don't know if you can swear on your, but it's shit oh, kicking. Yeah. It's shit kicking music. Do you know what I mean? You think, wow, I'm gonna go and kick a bin. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> oh my God, I love that. It's, it's funny hearing you talk about like that having uh, such an effect on you when you were four. Because we spoke to Labby Sifri um, last week. Yeah. And he was really insistent about like the life-changing moment when you're young and when you hear a track that just sets you off in a completely different direction. He was really just, I can't, he, he put it much playing, more. Was he? He was yeah, he playing. wasn't playing. Um, no. he, he put it much more articulately than, than I just did. But like, do you feel like hearing that record for the first time sort of set you off in a, in a certain direction in terms th- of your taste? And- I think it did. I, th- I think I'd be forever grateful for my dad, really, my mm-hmm. dad's record collection, uh, because... Um, because like all my mates, I grew up in a predominantly white area in Liverpool, and all my mates were into Led Zeppelin and Black Sabbath and stuff like that. And I'd be playing these records in the house. I love Zeppelin, by the way. But I'd be playing, I'd be playing uh, the records in my house, and um, my dad would be saying, um, "Why, you know, him nick that lick?" And then he'd, sh- and then he'd play me something by Muddy Waters or BB King or something like that. And, and he, that's where he stole it from, you know. And it's like, you know, so my dad, my dad could sort of reverse engineer me through loads of different sort of musics, you know, especially that sort of that sort of early um, heavy rock before it became heavy metal, um, you know. And he'd, he'd say, that he'd, he'd talk me through where all the, the licks had come from and all the stuff like that. So I'm, I'm forever grateful for his sort of record collection because that definitely, because my mum, Listen to Akabilk, you know, <laughs> Spanish eyes and stuff like that. It's like, oh, mum, shut it off. Whereas like, it was great when my dad got on, in on a Saturday because uh, we'd, we'd get the, rep, the proper records out, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> do you feel like you've inherited that from him? Like on your radio show, do you, do you try and kind of educate people a little bit? Well, we try to, but you, you don't want to preach, you know, yeah. or come across all knowing as well. Do you know what I mean? Sometimes yeah. records, you should allow the record uh, to uh, to speak for itself. But I mean, we do have this little catchphrase that says, I'm constantly caring about your musical education because I do like to dig deep and find, you know, something maybe different from an artist. Yeah. Like, um, like, you know, I mean, a lot of radio stations are really quite lazy. Do you know what I mean? And they'll have like in their core system, they'll have uh, Marvin's five biggest hits, mm. Stevie's five biggest hits, you know, Aretha's five biggest hits and and you hear the same records over and over and over and over again and they've got such a body of work such a catalogue of work and if you only dig deeper you'll find tracks that should have been singles that weren't you know and that's what i try and do yeah yeah i was, I was just saying to Anne uh off air just before you came on um because we were looking at the track listing for the new trunk of funk album and it really does feel much more like a like a diggers album, do you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. Sometimes when you get a, you know, someone who's got a high profile and they're putting out a compilation, it, it's just, you know, those tracks. It's those, yeah. those top, top hits. It's Sister mm-hmm. Sledge, it's Chic, it's whatever. And yeah. this, this has got a really nice broad range of stuff, you know, from one that's a Juju to P.P. Arnold to Alex Opal. These, these, are, these aren't the standards, do you know? And that's, it, it looks very interesting. Well, the thing about it, what we tried to do was, um, 
there's so much stuff coming out now there's so much media uh, that a lot of things kind of get lost you know especially if you're not on a major label and you haven't got a big plugger pushing it for you a lot of stuff gets really lost so with the newer tracks with the say the 21st century funk tracks there's about 15 on there that i thought this should have been a massive hit this is a proper banger but it's gone under the radar so he wants to find those tracks that have gone under the radar but then find things like miriam mccabe patter patter and and um forget me not from patrice russian songs that don't get played enough on the radio mm. so so it was kind of if it was going to be an old tune it had to be one of the, those ones that doesn't get enough radio attention anymore or songs that had flown under the radar and what we tried to do as well is we tried to make it sound like it could have possibly have been one band. It could have been a band playing, one act playing this, you know. So I, I just wanted it to flow so that it, it could have actually been, you know, an album put out by a band. So, so, there's, a, so there's kind of similarities in some of the stuff and it's got a nice flow to it, you know. So I'm really pleased with it, you know. It's kind of, um, it's been a labour of love as well, you know, because there's, there's so much out there and there's... Just, I mean, the reason we called it Volume One, which is a bit arrogant, you know what I mean? It's a bit presumptive, do you know what I mean? <laughs> that, that there will be a Volume Two, but there's so much stuff that uh, that that could have made the album, but I've saved for Volume Two. So, um, and I think we'll have a Volume Two now because I think we've charted at 21 yeah, this week. Well but, and do you know what? I'm, and that's going up against all the big boys and all the shite that comes out at Christmas, <laughs> like Sony's Sony's Christmas album. Uh, the soundtrack to Frozen 2, you know, all these these things that you're up against. Um, and to get into, it's coming at 21, we're really pleased about it, really. I think that's a testament to how much your audience trusts you, though, do you know what I mean? Because I'm sure a lot of people will look at the track listing and say, OK, well, I don't know that and I don't know this, but I trust Craig, so... Yeah, I hope so, because it's a well worth a listen to, you know. That's another thing as well. People shouldn't be scared of new music, you know. They shouldn't be scared of songs they don't know, because um, cause songs that you don't know become next year's classics, you know. Mm -hmm. yes, mm -hmm. Exactly. Uh, it's good to hear that you're thinking about how how it actually plays, do you know what I mean? Because one thing that really annoys me with, with compilations a lot of the time is, yeah, you've got a lot of good tracks on there, and it might be handy for a DJ who wants to pull one off. I've heard about you and all, Eamon. <laughs> <laughs> but quite often they don't make great listening experiences because there's no flow to the whole thing. It becomes jarring and it, and it just becomes like a, a blast of something and then a blast of something else. And, yeah, you know, a lot of it's... Unless it's curated well, mm -hmm. you know, it doesn't really work as an album. And it sounds Let's like see. You might as well just put your phone on shuffle sometimes, you know, the, yeah. the, way, the way some of these compilations come across. Yeah, uh, yeah, but so we've just kind of tried to give it, make it, you know, make it... Because I used to love, you know, getting an album and, like, I'd sit in front of the fire and I'd read all the sleeve notes and then I'd read the lyric sheet while you play the album. And I'd play the album four, five, six, seven times in a row, you know, just, just, just to immerse yourself in that experience. And I, that's why I think albums are so much better than say, CDs or, you know, iPods and st stuff like that. It's because, you know, it's tactile. Yeah. You can lie in front of the fire, you can read the sleeve notes, look at the pictures, and just it, it just makes it, I think, a more immersive experience. And if you, if you, if you curate it properly, then the flow should be uh, that hour and a bit that the album lasts. You should be transported somewhere else, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, um, you know, and I, I really do hope that people, having listened to my album, will feel slightly cooler. 
<laughs> That's the true aim. I love that. <laughs> it's, it's so true. I mean, we obviously, we could all go on about, about how uh, LPs are a superior uh, musical yeah. format for hours and hours and hours. But I think it's, it's so true. And I think when you're making compilation like that, putting it in it's such a tactile format it's such a pleasure to kind of you know sit down and listen to it's le- a less passive experience to have it on vinyl and it also means that like there might be some tracks that people are unsure about but they'll invest that time yeah. um, in listening to them you know because they've invested money in this LP it's You're, true and because yeah. pe- people are basically lazy as well you know so <laughs> so if, if, you, if you listen to an album if you want to skip a track you've got to get off the couch or you've got to get up <laughs> off the floor go over lift up the needle and move it on a little bit and you know what people think oh do you know what I'll just I'll just give it this I'll just I'll just give it the three minutes this track lasts and after a while you're looking forward to that track a lot of albums I've come across where my least favourite track on first listen has become my favourite track over time you know yeah yeah, Yeah, so true when I was a kid when I bought an album if there was a track I didn't like I'd kind of weigh up how much of the vinyl it was and think that's like 70p man (laughs) (laughs) I want my money back not just lazy cheap as well (laughs) (laughs) it's a 12 minute song that's cost me three quid (laughs) we talk about this a lot actually this is amazing story Matt Groening the guy who created The Simpsons um, loved Captain Beefheart and he went out and bought a Trout Mask replica which is like you know this cacophonous like Uh, sounds on first have you ever heard it Craig uh, I have I've heard it. I've heard yeah. all. I've heard all of Beefheart. Really, oh, really, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. then, then, then you know you understand how on first listen, like Mike Grayling took it home. He like put it on his stereo. He was like, I'm so excited about this new Beefheart. You know, first track, he was like, What the fuck? is this it's <laughs> like you know I paid X amount of dollars for this I'm going to sit and listen until I like it and then you know it became his favourite album of all time so. one, of, one of my favourite albums is Weasels Rip My Flesh uh, by, uh, I think by Zappa where Zappa goes on about the fact that Beefheart ripped him off oh that's a fucking legendary scene. legendary I remember um, hearing that uh, Beefheart was sacked Frank's, uh, Beefheart was in debt and Frank Zappa took him on tour basically out of kind of sympathy to help him pay off his debt and then Beefheart got fired from the tour because he wouldn't stop drawing mean portraits of Zappa when he was on stage. <laughs> 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 that is a great reason to get fired. Oh, <laughs> like kids. Uh, oh, How did you leave your last job? I was a cartoonist actually. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> he didn't like the caricatures. Exactly, exactly. So good. Um, anyway, we, we digress but let's yes. get back to your let's get back to your phonographic memories because you picked another classic for yourself second one a funkadelic track talk to us about this one oh well that was um one nation under a groove when that came out i just thought the world had completely changed it was just the amount of different rhythms in that and um it's about honestly it's about i use that word counterpoint it's about six songs mm-hmm. all counterpointing each other and it's just it's just it's delicious it's just a, it's just a thing it's a work of art really mm-hmm. and it was when p-funk were at their best i mean p-funk wants to get funked up as well you know it was all the mothership connection stuff and it was like um it was like a it was like because i was into rock music as well you know as i said i was into zeppelin i was into sabbath i was into acdc rainbow whitesnake all this kind of stuff and it was um, a bit like bob marley as well it was a bit where like a, a black band could come across with the ethos of a rock band but still be really really groovy you know what i mean and it was um and it was for me that that sort of changed everything it it, it was like because it it wasn't disco, do you know what I mean? And disco was getting getting such a kick in. 
um, you know, people burning their disco records and stadiums in America and shit like that. And you're like, what, what, what are you burning that for? <laughs> <laughs> it's really weird behaviour when you look at it, you know? Exactly, that's, that's Savaris, man. Don't, be, don't burn heatwave, <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, so, uh, oh no, the Bee Gees have got on the fire now, God! <laughs> so, um, so it was kind of, it was like, it was, it was groovy, uh, funky dance music, dance hall music, but in a, in a, in a way that had a kind of a rock ethos to it and it just made me think wow you can't listen to that album and not come away feeling slightly groovier do you know what i mean it puts a wiggle in your walk and a, a glide in your stride in the cover is joyous isn't it yeah like, that, yeah that cartoon i can't remember the name of the artist now but he did a few fucked up uh, covers and it's mm -hmm. just uh, it's a riot yeah. Colour and, and, and fun. Do you know, they weren't afraid to enjoy themselves. There's a, no. a lot of po-faced rockery about. Yeah. And, uh, and it, it's frankly, it gets, it gets given a, a sort of a higher weighting in terms of importance because it's a bit miserable. Mm. And <laughs> it's true. You get someone like Funkadelic come along, and it's every bit as as clever and as inventive and forward-looking as anything else around. But it's got a big smile on its face, and it's on the dance floor. Yeah, and you know what? I mean, they're, they're not—they just—they weren't navel gazers at all. They were—they were there to party, and, and um, even now, when George Clinton uh, played Glastonbury, I went along to that one, and I was sort of the side of the stage, and. And oh my God, it was just a riot. It was a proper party. And um, and uh, I was talking to Bootsy. I had Bootsy on my show, and um, and he was telling me that uh, he took so much, so much acid when he made Maggot Brain <laughs> that uh, he was in the stu studio playing his bass guitar, and his bass guitar turned into a boa constrictor. <laughs> and it's like what? It is going yeah. He said everything just started melting, Craig. And it was like the next minute, baby. The next minute, baby, I was playing a snake. Carry <laughs> <laughs> oh Yeah. Uh, I was hitting it on the wand, though. I was hitting it on the wand. There's <laughs> some great stories come out of that one. Because um, uh, Eddie Hazel, when he did uh, the actual track Maggot Braid, he apparently just went, play it like your mama died. <laughs> like your mama died. Yeah, yeah. And they recorded the whole thing with a drum track. There was a drum track underneath it. Mm -hmm. And then, and, and then, this is this is some powerful acid. So what do you do when you finished your your rock opus maggot brain track at last? Well, George just takes the drums out. Yeah. And then, so it all takes, and then that's that would be madness in any other record, really. I but know. I mean, what he's I, behind is so mm -hmm. perfect. Yeah, I mean, people see a lot. I know a lot of my friends find that that guitar solo a bit inaccessible, really, because it does go on for forever. And when you think it's going to stop, it hasn't really started yet. And um, but it's just, I think. I, I, you've got to be in the mood for it, but that maggot brain when you're in the mood for it is just it's just a proper proper out there experience. Do you know what I mean? Mm. You know. Was that how did you? I know you said you you kind of came to it. You're listening to a lot of of more rocky stuff at the time, but was that something you're listening to with like your dad's approval, or did you get turned on to it by radio or friends? How did you come upon Funkadelic? Funkadelic in a, in a nightclub in Liverpool. I must have been about fourteen. Um, and I had taken my school blazer off, turned it inside out, and took me, and um, and did the same with the tie. And, um, that must have looked sharp. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. And pretended I was 18, 
and uh, I got in. I think I nursed a rum and black all night, yeah. and that's like rum with you know the black currant syrup. Oh, oh God, yeah. it was so sickly sweet. But that's all I could afford. One rum and black, which I wasn't really drinking, just wetting my lips. You know, just wet my lips and thing. And um, and uh, and that came on the dance floor, and the, the place just erupted. And it was like, wow, this is a next level shit. This is a this is a my world has completely changed. really influential I think in, in a lot of uh, not just black music but white music as well um, I think uh, Funkadelic's legacy I mean if you go back to, the, to their old days when they were a doo-wop band the parliaments uh, the journey they must have been on or the trips the trip shall I say yeah the trip they must have been on to get to uh, P-Funk once to get funked up is must have been must have been oh I wish I was on that journey with them <laughs> I don't know not many people would have survived it I think yeah yeah uh, I was talking to uh, oh god what's his name Sean Ryder I was talking to Sean Ryder the other day and I said to him how's Bez and he went oh you know still the same he went out when he was 21 hasn't come home <laughs> Not a bad way to live, to be fair. Although Ben must be at a loose end at the moment. Yeah, I think I think everyone's at a loose end. God, ain't that the truth? That, um, you know, that 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 uh, track, amazingly, it still does it every day. Yeah. It's like oh, one of those perennials you can stick in your bag. Okay, it doesn't age that one. It's like there's some songs, there's some songs that just got frozen uh, in time, or they were so far ahead of the time that um, that uh, we haven't actually caught up yet. It's a bit. I mean, people talk to me. I mean, about Red Dwarf, and they say like, a, um, we did sort of Red Dwarf in the '80s, and, and people say like, you look at the young ones now, and the young ones are so of its time mm. and so aged. Whereas you look at Red Dwarf, and it's still kind of quite fresh really yeah. that's because it was set so far in the future well, that, we, that we haven't caught up yet <laughs> you know i just moved house so i've been in flat back hell for like the past two weeks or something and we just stuck me and my boyfriend just stuck red dwarf on it to while we built flat back furniture it was like this is the only thing that's going to get us through and keep our eyes <laughs> on the prize i'm having a cough no it's yeah. called coronavirus yeah that's the last thing <laughs> clear the pipes great no I, I, had a, I had a covid test yesterday I've had, I've had so many COVID tests. Is that because well, you're going into to work all the time? Yeah, because we do. Um, uh, uh, 
we had it every three days doing Don't Rock the Boat. Yeah. Uh, um, and you get them, because I'm filming quite a lot as well, so the gadget show's still happening, so we're still filming away. So you just got, got to get tested all the time. It's just, it is quite annoying because they go right up your nose and try and pop your eyeball out. Oh, that's horrible. I've got to say that I've seen the, I haven't had one yet, but I've, I've seen the sort of images on the news and, and the idea of that thing going up the back of your nose is not, not fill me with excitement. Oh, it looks I, very I, unpleasant. I had one in Barbados and, and this guy in the, at the airport in Barbados didn't even have a, um, a cotton bud tip on the end of it. So basically he's just, he's just jabbing your brain with a stick. It was so horrible. Oh my God. And then he, and then he just went right on to me clacker, uh, the back of my throat. I just coughed in his face, I'm sorry. So unpleasant. While we're talking about all, you know, your many parallel careers, can we talk a little bit about your performance poetry? Because it's such a cool story about how you went on tour with Teardrop Explodes. Um, can you can you just regale us with that story for people who are unfamiliar? I didn't really go on tour with them. I I, um, I just did one gig with them. They they oh. they, they had number they had a, they'd gone to number one with reward. And they did a series of concerts at the uh, the Temple Club in Liverpool uh, to say thank you to the hometown fans, and um, and you know you hear you hear them turning on the amps and all that, so you know the band are ready to get on and the microphone's going to be working. And I jumped up on stage and said, "It was." He's really into the music scene. No one's been where he's been. He saw the pistol to the hundred club. He fucked the girlfriend of a UK sub because he's really into the music scene. He told me Strummer was a queer. Said he bought Susie a beer. And when he mentions Ian Curtis, well, he always sheds a tear because he's really into the music scene. He was a punk before 76. He lived with Crasty with a shower of pricks. Roger Eagle wanted him to manage Eric's because he's really into the music scene. What's his name I hear you shout? I can't say you'll sue if word gets out, but I'll tell you something to give you hope. It begins with Julian and ends in Cope. Ladies and gentlemen, the teardrop explodes and ju <laughs> and jumped back into the audience and the place went fucking mad. <laughs> Julian, <laughs> Julian Cope. Oh, oh my God, there's a fire. <laughs> what? what? Uh, red hot, that pole. Yeah, literally. <laughs> God, that was incredible. Yeah. Uh, Julian Cope came back on the stage going... <laughs> <laughs> but he must have liked it, though, because he got invited back, didn't he? Yeah, I did a few gigs at the, at the temple with them. Yeah. Uh, because it was like, it was when punk poetry kind of uh, was all the rage. And I did some yeah. shows with John Cooper Clark and um, I went out with the Liverpool scene, Brian Patton, Agent Henry and Roger McGough. And I was very young back then. I was like 14, 15, 16. So I was kind of started off quite early, really. Where did you get that? I mean, like watching footage of you doing a performance poetry and you were so, I mean, obviously you still are, but like there's such a... There's such a talent there, like right from the beginning. Like, where did you get the balls to? Where did you get the confidence to get up on stage and, you know? I was a show off, together. you know what I mean? Yeah. Just a show yeah. off, really. Look at me, yeah. look at me. Um, I don't know. I just wanted to get out of Liverpool so badly yeah. at that stage. Uh, that would have taken any bus out, you know. Yeah. It was like it was like uh, it was Norman Tebbit that told us all to get on our bikes uh, to go looking for work. And I thought, good idea, Get, buy me a bike. <laughs> <laughs> He's got a bike then, yeah. <laughs> oh, good. Tell us about your third phonographic memory then, Craig. Okay, uh, I, I don't know, what is it? <laughs> <laughs> well, you picked Grant Laszlo's very Ah, good. ah. Well, this is the one thing, you know, a lot of remixes, 
Uh, I won't name names. I'm not trying to slag anyone or diss anyone. But they just make the track longer. You know what I mean? Yeah, they just yeah. edit it. So they'll take a three-minute track and make make it sort of nine minutes long. And um, and nothing much kind of changes in it. They might add a little bit of more extra kick to the snare or something like that. But um, it was when Grant Laszlo remixed the Hair Through the Grapevine and he makes... I heard it through the grapevine into a spaghetti western number. Um, have you heard it? No, yeah. I haven't actually. I listened to it this morning, and it, I think you've, it. you've just described it perfectly. Yeah. It is like Ennio Morricone's in one room, and yeah. Love just walks in and goes, "Oh, yeah. it's the same yeah. thing as my latest song." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, and it just showed me um, what you can do uh, with a remix, how you can invent something, uh, another work of art from some from a work of art that many people would say that's untouchable, mm. and, and and in many ways they'd be right. But when Grant Laszlo did that, and I just thought he's taken an untouchable song and he's moved it into a completely different sphere. And the way it just builds and builds and builds and builds and builds and then explodes. And I just think it just showed me um, it's, the, it's the one track that really got me into remixes. I play a lot of sort of remixes of old songs that have been twisted and turned and made more suitable for a modern dance floor, you know. Yeah. And um, I think what Grant Laszlo does with that is, it, I've used this before, but it is a work of art. It's absolutely stunning piece of work. And um, and I just think that's, that was, I think it's my favorite remix of all time. It just takes the, uh, it just takes a song in a completely different direction. And um, beautiful.
uh, when I was listening to it, because I'd never heard it before, and I just listened to it because uh, I knew you were going to pull it out on the show. And uh, you kind of, when when the, the vocals come in, you kind of think, okay, now the beat's going to drop, and it's going to drop now, and, and it still doesn't, it still doesn't. And then it, what happens is the rest of the track just grows around. Yeah, yeah. And there's this swell of kind of drama, really. Mm. Um, and it, I find it very difficult, because like you say, I think a lot of people would say, look, don't mess with Marv. Yeah. It's just, it's not worth it. You're not going to get anything good out of it. And mm. to actually, to really do it, you have to change it completely. And that's that's what Laszlo's done there, isn't it? Yeah, and, and it's such a lazy beat as well, as you say. It's kind of, a, it's a Sunday afternoon beat and, and, and it's just building and building. And it takes a Sunday afternoon and throws it right into the night time. It's, it, it, it brings it back to Saturday night towards the end of the song. You're like, wow. And um, yeah, I just think it's very clever. And um, and you know, I mean, pe people like the reflex. Um, I think the way he remixes Stevie Wonder has been uh, is brilliant. Some of his remixes of Stevie mm -hmm. stuff, some, some of his remixes of the old Michael Jackson catalogue uh, have been absolutely brilliant. Um, so th there are remixes out there who can take a work of art that you shouldn't really be messing with. You know, it's a bit like someone painting over a Klimt. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's, it, it's like it's like taking a Gustav Klimt and colouring the gold bits. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but like, um, but it, 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 it absolutely works, and it just shows you that you know, you know, these guys shouldn't be scared of um, taking um, you know p bits of popular music and trying to. Um, make something different out of them and uh, you know and you've got to have courage to do that because as Eamon was saying you know you shouldn't really be messing with Marvin Gaye. You, yeah. you, you must be sent an awful lot of things that have that kind of like sort of half-hearted editing going on uh, that, that I would imagine would get me down at some stage you know the, the track after track that really hasn't done yeah. much with it yeah. Except slap a breakbeat underneath it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. I get there's so much music, but every night, you know, you've got to, you've got to, you know, you've got to dig through a, a lot of oysters before you get the one with the pearl in it. Do you know what I mean? And it's like, um, and there's a, and, and I'm, I'm lucky in a way that I think with most songs you can tell if it's going to be any good in the first 20, 30 seconds. Mm. You know, and if it hasn't done it in. 30 seconds um, a lot of see, the thing about it is a lot of remixes uh, will will send you a track with a drum uh, with a minute drum beat on the on the, uh, at the beginning of it you know because that's where you mix into your next track sort of thing yeah so you've got to yeah, yeah but you've yeah but you've got to listen to that minute's fucking drum beat before you go to the tune you're like all right mate you know you know yeah <laughs> the Nile rogers thing don't bore us get to the chorus yeah 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 a lot of the reflex remixes are like that but i always i often i put the reflex in that category of like that's music for djs that's like when you want to play a disco banger yeah. but it doesn't quite I don't know it doesn't quite fill up the room enough so the reflex kind of takes it puts it through a tumble dryer with yeah. heavy drums and heavy bass and just makes mm -hmm. it work for the dance floor that's it that's it it's, it's yeah. all about making things uh, you know more relevant for a modern dance floor and um, and getting kids in, into it I mean a lot of my audiences are really quite young you know yeah. it's not like when I first started out I was playing to a men men of a certain age with Ben Sherman's you know mod uh, dads uh, uh, yeah, yeah you know and uh, with, the, with the haircut with the sideburns you know and um 
and over the years it's developed now it's it's quite student based really uh, but the thing about funk and soul is it works for every generation so i can have 18 year olds and 80 year olds in my show and they're all giving it riz do you know what i mean because even if you're into death metal you know you've still got three favorite soul songs you know <laughs> yeah so, true. so so it's an all encompassing genre which is a which i, I which is a happy accident for me because i didn't think this all through when i said i want to do a funk show uh, but it's it's kind of it's kind of kind of landed on my feet because it's got quite a very large demographic people you know people of all ages like it and enjoy it yeah yeah and like you say it's kind of it stands out on six music as yeah just the only one kind of flying the flag for that kind of music mm -hmm. well yeah i mean you've got giles who, who, who prefers the sort of more jazz electro yeah. end of things um and you know you, you've got uh keris plays a fair bit of it so does lauren Ravenne actually i mean mm -hmm. i mean they're all they're all music fans really um mm -hmm. and it doesn't really matter what genre it is if it's a good tune uh, a lot of those guys play it i'm dead lucky to be working on that radio station i do feel as though i'm working on one of the coolest radio stations in the world half the time and that, when, when you're working with like people like Iggy Pop oh, yeah. and, and Guy Garvey and Keris Matthews you know you know, you know you, you, I'm very rarely intimidated but if you meet them you can't they're quite intimidating you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> sometimes I think Iggy Pop's going to eat me <laughs> you could never be sure that Iggy Pop wasn't going to just suddenly do something really weird <laughs> <laughs> exactly and he's got that gravel in his voice it, it, it sounds like he's, he's eating a box of sand uh, and uh, and now having a cigar and a whiskey to top it off you know what I mean you said earlier on you know in the early days you've got a bigger audience by playing a CD in your car and it was kind of it was incredibly small and niche for, for a long time and it was only when they threatened to give it the chop that a lot of people kind of actually paid paid it the due it was worth do you know what I mean the, mm. suddenly going well actually this isn't like a load of playlist stuff that's just been pulled out by a computer these are people these people like the music you know, yeah. they, they've gone out and you can tell when someone mm -hmm. likes the music because they, they, they do pull out the, the random B-side of so-and-so that you hadn't heard before rather than just play Respect again. Yeah. No, so, that, I mean, that's, uh, and that's, for me, it's, it, it feels like a spiritual home because of that, because I, I do like educating people about music, you know, and just giving them the chance to, to enjoy a different musical experience from the likes of, like, say, Aretha Franklin, yeah. you know. I mean, you can just play Chain of Fools on repeat, or you can dig deeper and get some, I mean, some of their gospel stuff is absolutely stunning, and I know you play a bit of gospel, Anne, don't you? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Oh, yeah, a bit of gospel. Appreciate and just some of the stuff that, that, you know, that you can find that's out there hiding in plain sight. Um, is well worth sort of yeah. investigating, you know. And, just, and, it, yeah. and that's a great way to spend a Sunday, finding songs that you, you haven't heard in years or songs that you've never heard by people that you think, I should have heard that, you know. Because, um, you know, a lot of people haven't got all the albums um, yeah. or, or access to all the albums. And, um, and I'm lucky that I have, really. Yeah, absolutely. And just on that note, if you ever do feel like taking a holiday, Craig, me and Eamon will step in, we'll cover your show, we'll look after your legacy. We're here for you. Happy days. You're on. You're on. Yes, I have that on tape. Um, before we let you go then, what, uh, what, what are you up to at the moment? What's in the pipeline in the immediate and medium-term future for you? 
Well, I'm doing. Uh, f we finished the gadget show. This series, fin we finish it next Tuesday. We did the last filming of that. Oh, that goes out Friday nights on Channel Five, and uh, I'm doing a lot of promo for the album. Yeah. See, see if we can get it into the top twenty. Uh, we're just one out at the moment, so um, so I'm doing a bit of that. Um, Red Dwarf stalled until all this COVID stuff has gone away. Uh, we were going to do one this year because we did Promised Land, which came out this Easter, oh, which dear. which did really well, and we were going to do another one, but then COVID came along, so um, so that, that's out of the way. Um, there's there's loads of stuff going on, really. Do you know what I mean? It's sort of like, and a lot more of the same, really. You know, just trying to hopefully. Um, hopefully get back on the road as soon as I can. Yeah. Uh, although I have enjoyed lockdown in many ways, simply because I was on tour for 10 years, to be yeah, honest. Yeah. And uh, it was, it's quite nice of, you know, to smell the roses every now and again. So on, in the first lockdown, the weather was brilliant. Yeah, yeah. I, big difference. It's pretty nice. Yeah, yeah, and I just sat in my garden and, uh, <laughs> and drank so much wine. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I, I was getting a suntan from the, the fridge light <laughs> and, and I put on so much weight, and that's why, um, and that's why, uh, that's why I did that. Don't rock the boat uh, because um, it thought get me out of the house, try and get me fit, get paid to get fit. What's yeah. not to like? Uh, but I put all that back on again now because. Uh, because I think I've got a touch of PTSD after that. <laughs> oh, bless you. I think 2020 is a write-off. We're all finishing the year a lot fatter and a lot lazier, and who cares? Mm. <laughs> you have a little more operas. time to sit about and listen to music, and that can never be a bad thing. Exactly. No, it's exactly. no, it's, and, and I've you know I've um, and um, my wife, um, I've got this new thing, uh, this. Uh, she bought me a tablet. It's got Spotify on it, and um, I've never done Spotify before. But you can fucking find everything on there. That's good. <laughs> yeah, and I've been making playlists and stuff like that, uh, and just really enjoying doing that. And we've got a hot tub. <gasps> Stop. Oh. We've got a hot tub. You're set. So, so she, she 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 got this hot tub installed a couple of weeks ago, and to be fair, we're never out of it. It's, it's <laughs> e even when it's pissing down, and and it's got speakers in the hot tub. Oh, oh God, yeah. man! I, I'm That's living the fun. life of Riley. I tell you, I'm going I'm going I'm gonna, um, I'm gonna get, put a reggae act together, call myself Hot Tubby, <laughs> and, 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 uh, and, and lay down uh, warm water-based tracks. <laughs> oh man, we're here for it. We're so we want that. We want that. Yeah. <laughs> Craig, it's been such a joy speaking to you. I hope we get to speak again. Oh, cheers. Thank you for amazing. having me on. Oh, and, um, and, and uh, great to talk to you guys. You as well. Thank you, Craig. Have a wonderful really day. Nice and uh, yeah, enjoy, enjoy all your various projects and hopefully we'll be able to catch you live again in 2021. All right, keep flying the flag now. <laughs> you as well. You too, all right, Bye, cheers. Bye-bye.